Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Welcome and thank you for joining us today on part two of teaching our children and the responsibility that we as parents have and grandparents to teach this beloved generation of youth. Right. Um, Thanks for listening and always please share this podcast if you think that there's anybody who could benefit or anybody whose family could be strengthened by listening to this podcast. We really appreciate that. And again, just a reminder that um, Mark started another podcast called Stand by My Servants and it's the importance of our living prophets and apostles and he has a couple introductory um, podcasts but then he's going to go into the lives and teachings of each of the 15 apostles and first presidency and they're really really awesome and if anybody's heard his classes at ed week or have taken his classes um, people rave about them and they really, I can't say enough because they were really good. I mean, if you want a testimony or if your kids need a testimony of the living prophets, please go and listen to these. They, you're going to learn so much and it's, it's really awesome. And I'm just glad I don't have to be a part of that one. <laughs> well, honey, you're being very nice. We'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how good they really are. So <laughs> no, they're awesome. Okay. So today we are going to dive into part two of teaching our children um, and today we're going to talk more. Last time it was really focused on the parental responsibility. Today we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of it. The nuts and bolts of teaching. We're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about some funny stories and kind of the hows and the what's and the where's of teaching our children. Yeah. So let's dive right in. Well, I'm excited about it, especially if we get to have some fun here at first. But I, where this idea came from for me of, of uh, okay, have we ever taught lessons to our children that have kind of backfired on us? Here's one of them for me. I was just in my counseling practice years ago, and a father told me this story, but they were, lived here in Utah. They were on their way to California. They stopped in Las Vegas to eat somewhere, but, it, you know, like in Vegas, how it usually is, there was, you know, casinos all in the restaurant, all where they were. They may have even stayed in the hotel there that night somewhere, but one of their sons just kept begging, Dad, I want to I want to play the slot machine. I want to do the slot machine, and do you have any quarters I can borrow? And this son just pestered the dad for several hours and of course the dad was giving the great party line answer of son we don't gamble we're not doing that here's all the evils of gambling and but the son was just relentless he just wouldn't give up and finally the dad said you know what i can't in his mind at least he thought i can't think of a better way to show him what a waste gambling is than to give him some money have him walk over to the slot machine and put it in and basically essentially see that he just was flushing money down the toilet and this is the kind of story that i almost don't like telling because you know what's going to happen but and that's exactly what happened the son went over to the slot machine dad gave him the quarter put it in once pulled it and thousands of quarters came gushing out (laughs) right i mean just literally everywhere they were filling their hats their shirts their gloves their well, not gloves, but their shoes, you know, and, uh, and, uh, anyway, and I remember the, the father turned to me and he said, I just said, son, let that be a lesson to you. But anyway, <laughs> the one for me that uh, got me into some trouble is we, we got our son a BB gun for Christmas one year 
And uh, once again, with, with, with five or six other daughters at the time, we just had to have this firm rule that you're not going to ever point this gun at your sisters. You know, we're just not doing that. And I had caught him doing that a couple of times. And so, and he was on the verge in my mind of losing that gun. Well, one day I drove up in the driveway literally from work and our daughters were like up against the wall of our house like a firing squad. And there was our son pointing this gun at them. And I just thought, okay, I'm done. That's it. And I'm sure I was probably already mad about something else. I don't know. But I I know I wasn't in the best mood. And I thought, I'm just going to grab that gun and just break it over my knee. Which was a huge mistake because even a BB gun, you can't do that. I'm sure Bo Jackson could have pulled that off. But I, uh, I didn't have any luck. In fact, I still have a sore knee from that. And that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> But anyway, the gun didn't break, and so I thought the next best thing, my son's basketball was sitting right there, right next to us on the grass of our front lawn, and he loves sports, great athlete, and I just thought, well, maybe he just needs to learn a lesson here. I'm just going to shoot a hole in his basketball, and that'll that'll teach him, which I thought, what a horrible parenting uh, technique, but uh, well, yeah, I'm just going to deflate your basketball, and that'll show you, but anyway... But I think I was just mad and caught up in the moment. So I pointed the BB gun at this basketball, pulled the trigger. The BB hits the basketball. We don't really know what happened. And then just a few seconds later, we hear a shatter across the street. And the BB had hit the basketball, ricocheted, and then flew across the street and went through our neighbor's plate glass window. <laughs> that was a banner day. <laughs> yeah, that was a great day because it was in Utah. It was one of those old houses, you know, where the the front window was like, you know, 10 feet long and six feet wide or whatever. So I knew it was like a $2,000 window. And I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I literally remember thinking to myself, how do I get out of this? I mean, is there, I mean, you know, I had to walk across the street now and go tell the neighbor I just shot a hole in their window with, as I'm holding my son's BB gun with my white shirt and tie on. Anyway, and uh, I just, I, 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 I'm, I hate admitting it, but I actually thought, I wonder if I could just tell the neighbors that one of my kids did this or whatever. But <laughs> turns out the mom was laying on her couch underneath that window, reading a book and relaxing when all of a sudden her window shattered. And, uh, <laughs> That was fun to hear that part of the story. But anyway, nice couple, nice family. lived across the street. They were really generous. Let's just say we worked out a little miracle that uh, uh, allowed that not to be such a painful financial hit. But but uh, horrible lesson on how to teach your son not to shoot his sisters <laughs> with a gun. Just blow a hole in the neighbor's window across the street. <laughs> Honey, do you remember the uh, the story of our of pulling our car? So sometimes the lessons that we try to teach may backfire on us and it's okay. We just need to learn to laugh at ourselves a little bit and we'll move on. We'll have success in other ways or in other times, but uh, not every lesson it goes perfectly, right? <laughs> That's for sure. As we get into the whys just a little bit, you know, of why is it so crucial that we teach the gospel to our children? Why is it so crucial that the gospel sink deep into, into their hearts I mean, for sure, we want them to have the Spirit in their lives. And that Spirit's going to come as they live the gospel, as they keep commandments, and as they study the gospel. But I think there's more. Heber C. Kimball once said, Yes, we think we are secure here in the chambers of these everlasting hills. Even for those that aren't here in Utah, right? right. We think we're secure wherever we are, wherever we're raising our children. Right. Where we can close the doors of the canyons against mobs and persecutors, the wicked and the vile, who have always beset us with violence and robbery. But I want to say to you, my brethren, 
that the time is coming when we will be mixed up in these now peaceful valleys to the extent that it will be difficult to tell the face of a saint from the face of an enemy against the people of God. Then is the time to look out for the great sieve, for there will be a great sifting time, and many will fall. For I say unto you, there is a test, a test, a test is coming. He says it three times. That's got to be a big deal, right? Yeah. This church has before it many close places through which it will have to pass before the work of God is crowned with glory. The difficulties will be of such a character that the man or woman who does not possess a personal knowledge or witness will fall. If you have not got this testimony, you must live right and call upon the Lord and cease not until you obtain it. Remember these sayings, the time will come when no man or woman will be able to endure on borrowed light. Each will have to be guided by the light within within themselves. If you do not have the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, how can you stand? You know what's interesting about that statement is I've heard it my whole life in the church since the, since, since the early 1980s. And I just thought, okay, wow, okay, that's cool. But now today in the world that we live in, you can see almost exactly how that prophecy could be carried out based on just the social issues of our day. And it's talking to, he was talking about the wicked and the vile and the violence and the robbery. And that, I mean, that comes to us over our phone, over our TVs, over our computers. You know, we see that daily. Our children are seeing that daily. Right. And in a, in a talk we're going to refer to today, a timer, you know, more than once, by Elder Anderson called Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, which was given in April of 2010. He said that each person needs his or her own light, his or her own steadfast and immovable faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, independent of parents, youth leaders, and supportive friends. So yes, if we want to survive in these last days, then we need rock-solid testimonies of our own. And parents and grandparents can help so significantly. We must be, become strong and, a, and effective teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just as a reminder, kind of a sum up of part one, as Tad R. Callister said, as parents, we are to be the prime gospel teachers and examples for our children, not the bishop, the Sunday school, the young women or young men, but the parents. As their prime gospel teachers, we can teach them the power and reality of the atonement, of their identity and their divine destiny, and in so doing, give them a rock foundation upon which to build. When all is said and done, the home is the ideal form for teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, amen, right? I mean, that's so profound. And I love when Elder Callister's talk, when that was delivered, because it was so powerful. And it's just something that we've believed for a long time. It was fun to hear someone articulate it the way that he did. So one of the questions we'd like to address today is what to teach our children. Because I know some of you may think, really, you're going to talk about that, but... There have been some that have asked and have said, some parents who have said, not even sure where to start. You know, anywhere. I mean, sky's the limit of where we can start. Any direction you can go. We can teach our children how to work. I like the idea of teaching them how to have fun and have a sense of humor. Morals and values. They're probably not going to learn that in their, uh, on an academic level at their schools or in other places today. It's going to have to be taught in the home. There's academic subjects that we can teach our kids. I love watching members of my family teaching their children science and math and cool academic things. Life skills. We have so many of our youth today who 
graduate from college, they marry, and they're not even, they're not even sure how to maintain or keep a budget, or or maybe change a flat tire or fix something that's broken in the, in our homes. How to be social and interact with other people. How to sustain and maintain friendships, dating and courtship, dangers of media and pornography. How to be resilient and do hard things. What about teaching them about their identity, their heritage, who they are? First of all, who they are in their own families, but also from a gospel perspective, who they are as children of God. We can teach them about Christ-like attributes, such as charity, kindness, courage, forgiveness. Teach them how to have joy and be happy in the toxic world that we live in. But most importantly, we should be teaching our children and grandchildren about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, in 2010, Elder Anderson, Elder Neil L. Anderson, shared that talk in General Conference called Tell Me the Stories of Jesus. It was so profound, a a wonderful talk. And then in 2020, 10 years later, he follows up and gives another talk similarly, We Talk of Christ, where Elder Anderson talks about the conditions of the world, how we've fallen, so to speak, in our religious beliefs as a nation, but also then reconnects us to this idea of telling our children and teaching our children the stories of Jesus. Yeah, these are great talks, and they really have helped us be able to learn to teach our children better and our grandchildren how to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So he starts off by asking us a few questions. One of them are, are there images of the Savior in our home? Do we often talk to our children about the parables of Jesus? The stories of Jesus are like rushing wind across the embers of faith in the hearts of our children, he said. So beautiful. In 2010, Elder Anderson said, the stories of Jesus shared over and over bring faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and strength to the foundation of testimony. Can you think of a more valuable gift for our children? Wow. No, I can't, actually. (laughs) Then in this message, he asked, are the life and teachings of Jesus Christ embedded in the minds and souls of our children? Mm. Good question to ponder. Do they think about the Savior's life when they wonder what to do in their own lives? This will be more and more important in the years ahead. Do they know that Jesus often taught, ask and you shall receive? Do his prayers of thankfulness and his pleadings to his father flow through our children's minds as they kneel in prayer with their own concerns? Have we told them of the love Jesus has for children, how he held them in his arms and prayed for them and wept? I love that Elder Anderson's asking these questions. It's almost like Alma chapter 5 with all the questions, right? Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Kind of an introspective look at our own lives. He continues, do our children know that Jesus stands ready with open arms to receive them? And in their own loneliness, do our children know the loneliness the Savior felt as his friends deserted him? And as he asked his apostles, will ye also go away? Have our children felt the power of the Savior's miracles? I think that's something that we as parents can be pointing out. I believe that there are miracles around us every day, but we have to look for them. Can we point those out? Do our children, back to Elder Anderson now, do our children believe that it is by faith that miracles are wrought? And do they pray for miracles in their own lives? Have our children taken courage from the Savior's words to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe? And then Elder Anderson spoke to all of us when he said to fathers and mothers, to grandfathers and grandmothers, and to those without children of their own who lovingly nurture children and youth, my counsel is to speak more frequently about Jesus Christ 
in his holy name is great spiritual power. And then he quotes the verse in, in the New Testament that there is no other name given nor any other way whereby salvation can come under the children of men only in and through the name of Jesus Christ. You know, one of my favorite talks is Thomas B. Griffin's talk, The Very Root of Christian Doctrine, a talk he gave at BYU a few years ago where he said that in his stake as a stake president that they decided that every talk, every lesson would be rooted in the Savior. And if even if the talk was about food storage or family history work, they would find a way to tie it in to Christ and the atonement. And I think that that certainly is something that we could be doing in our own homes. Yeah, and just, just reflecting on these questions that Elder Anderson asked us, as we teach our children, I think that the Savior can be an example in every single thing that we're teaching. If we're teaching prayer, we can focus back on the Savior and how he taught us to pray. If we're talking about love and loving others and empathy, we can certainly use the Savior as our role model, as our role model sure. and our example. If we're teaching faith, if we're teaching our children how to have courage in a hard time of their life, if they're, if they're seeking for their own miracle, we can point them back to Jesus Christ and use examples from the scriptures and from his life. And I think that is just so profound as we go through those questions that he asked us, that there is nothing that Jesus Christ hasn't experienced that he hasn't already gone through that we can use as a teaching model and reference point for our children to glean from and to learn from. Which would require us to come to know the Savior ourselves as parents and grandparents and, and to be familiar with his teachings, right? And you know, Mark, I think that's that's a huge point, as I think there's a lot of people in the church that aren't comfortable teaching their children the gospel because they don't really know it themselves. And they're, they're not that comfortable with the scriptures, and they're not that comfortable maybe with what they say or what you know, is being implied. And so I think we as parents, that's our first responsibility is we've got to get ourselves in the scriptures ourselves. We've got to become familiar with the words of the scriptures and the teachings of the church. Right. To become converted, so to speak, to the scriptures and to be familiar with them, like you said. And once again, this is wonderful because that's something that all of us can do. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, in the resources that surround us now, to understand the gospel are, are so profound and significant. I mean, we've got Come Follow Me podcasts, you know, everywhere we turn. We have books and resources. The The church's uh, online material for the scriptures is incredible. And uh, it reminds me of something President Nelson said in his talk on the Sabbath day years ago. But he said, I almost wished I, was a, I could be a dad all over again because of all the resources we have now to use that we didn't have when he was a dad, you know. Yeah. Well... Let me share something, Janie, really quick that uh, I hadn't planned on saying, but I, I want really a great invitation to everyone today is to read that inaugural talk, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, and then the follow-up talk given in 2010 on the Savior's Life by Elder Anderson. But in that 2010 talk, the way that Elder Anderson concluded is he told the story of Bill Forrest, who happened to be his really good friend. They were had been friends in college. The Andersons and the Forrest were close and... Uh, Bill Forrest lived in Mesa, Arizona. He was the bishop of his ward. And to make a long story short, he was killed in a car accident one morning on his way to work. His family actually drove by the accident scene and thought, wow, that almost looks like dad's car, you know, only to find out later that it was their dad. But in the talk, what Elder Anderson shared is that Bill Forrest was the kind of dad that when he was in the car with his kids, they were talking about the gospel. They were memorizing verses of scripture 
they were having good gospel discussions. And after the, uh, Brother Forrest passed away, his children uh, talked about the influence and the impact that the teachings of Christ had on them that came from their dad and how that helped them weather that storm, that grief process that they went through. And so I love what you started with, Janie, a minute ago, of that how these teachings of Christ are like a rushing wind across the embers of faith in the hearts of our children. Anyway, really good stuff there, for sure. You know, it's really kind of fun to think about where can we teach our children? I think that's another great question. And the answer is, in almost every setting, I know that some have told us, and I, we've had the same experience, that sometimes just being in the car together as a family and having gospel discussions. I remember, Janie, a very memorable experience for me is we actually drove from Dallas, our son Brandon, to the MTC. He was our first missionary to leave, but that gave us two full days in the car going there to have great conversations about what he was about to do in his life. But anywhere, right? On the trampoline in the backyard, right? And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, And these words which I shall command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest down in thine house. So yes, we're going we're to talk about the gospel and these scriptures in our homes. When thou walkest by the way, or for us, while we're in the car, while we're driving, while we're walking, and when thou liest down, and that when thou risest up. Or in other words, it sounds like we're talking and teaching about the gospel all day long. Yeah, I love that because it, and usually it does happen at spontaneous time. It's right. Like We're not planning on it. When I get in the car today, we're going to have this We're going to have this discussion. It just becomes natural with the things that are going on in life, with their questions, with their observations. I think it can literally just turn to teachings of the gospel. I know, Janie, that... One of the things I think that drove our kids crazy, but I was always trying to show them that everything in life relates to the gospel. And you may remember even on our last vacation with our family, if we're, we're riding down the river, if we're you know floating down, I don't know, floating down the down a lake or whatever, we're going to talk about how it relates to the gospel. Yeah, it's kind of become a game in our family <laughs> to find the analogy in everything or how things point to Christ. So right. as we're floating down the river, you're showing the kids the evergreen, the pine trees, and you're talking mm. about, hey, how does that point to Christ? And they're all coming up with their own analogies. And I think it's just a great mindset. Mark, you're really good at doing that with our children, grandchildren. And we, we ought to let people know, though, just so they don't think we're crazy, uh, that uh, that's not the only thing we talk about. Right. I mean, we're having a lot of discussions about BYU football and uh, everything else under the sun. Right. But that's part of it, for sure, right? But yeah, I think everything can be tied to Christ, because everything does point to Christ. Everything, this world was created by him, and everything points to him. Right. So I think it's very natural. But anyway, I love this quote by Elder Robert D. Hales, and he said, We can take advantage of the teaching moments in our own families. That means now. Don't let them slip by. When an opportunity comes to share your thoughts about the gospel and the lessons of life, stop everything. Sit down and talk to your children and grandchildren. And I love that. I, I've had moments where I'm doing dishes or trying to get dinner on and and you know somebody asks something and i think oh well we'll talk about that later right well yeah. the moment's passed you have to stop and stop and address it right then because they don't care anymore after a while or the question won't come back up or other things you other know, things have come get in up, the way yeah. yeah so we have to take advantage 
He also said, similarly, mothers and fathers, as you drive or walk children to school or their various activities, do you use that time to talk with them about their hopes and dreams and fears and joys? Do you take the time to have them take out their earplugs and all their other devices so that they can hear you and feel of your love? The more I live, the more I recognize that the teaching moments in my youth, especially those provided by my parents, have shaped my life and made me who I am. It's a beautiful testimony. Yeah, and, and like we've talked about before, there's there's planned activities and there's spontaneous ones. But in my mind, those spontaneous ones are an outgrowth for the things that are planned. Or in other words, if you're talking about the gospel in your home a lot, then the spontaneous discussions are going to be more frequent. It's just going to be a natural thing that emerges. But if you never talk about the gospel, I have a hard time believing that these spontaneous uh, discussions are going to take place. I know for me, when we were raising children, and even now when I have the grandkids in the car too, is the car is the most important <laughs> time for me. The, right. You have a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. They <laughs> have to either listen to you. But I know there's so many people that just play the radio or they're playing music or even podcast or whatever. Or, or I've seen it where they're just on their phone talking and the grandkids talking are just to other people. Right. Yeah, and their children are just sitting there in their own playing on their own phone. But use that as a time to talk to your child, like like Elder Hale said. Do you talk to them about their hopes, their dreams, what's going on with their friends, what's going on in their life, and whether just even if they won't respond, you can talk to them <laughs> because you kind of have a captive audience. <laughs> right, it is a great time. I think the car is underrated, right? Yeah, For a, a great. So place. let's remember, parents, to turn our own music off, turn our own stuff off, turn our own phones off, and concentrate on our children. Right. And so, you know, when we think about where to teach the gospel to our children, obviously there are some opportunities created uh, if we follow the commandments. For instance, family scripture study. That's a great time to teach. In fact, I remember, Jane, I don't don't know if you remember this discussion that well, but there was a time in our life where our children had to go to early morning seminary. We lived in Texas, and and that was like at 530, if, if I remember right. Then they would come home and they'd have a brief window before they had to go to school. And that's when we had our family scripture study. And there was a couple of discussions with our older teenagers about, wait, why are we doing this? We just got back from seminary. Why do we need a family scripture study? But we let our children know because that was important. That's family discussion time. That's when we get to talk to you about the gospel. That's when we can take a verse and then sit and talk about how we think it applies to our family because your seminary teachers don't know what's going on in our, in our family, and we do. And so let's have that discussion. Family home evening can be the same way, right? It could be a great opportunity for gospel discussions. It could be a great opportunity for our children to ask questions. Dinner table discussions, parent-child interviews. But those informal gospel discussions, those spontaneous discussions that we've talked about, may be some of the ones that are the most powerful you know, where it's not even planned, but it just comes up. You know, if there's any regrets that I have as a parent, and I know we all have some, but one of them is there was a key question that I could have asked my children that I rarely did. And the question is, was, so how does that make you feel? Or how do you feel about that? We would go around the dinner table on Sunday and every one of our children would share what they learned in church. We would have a little discussion about that sometimes, but I don't think there was many occasions where I would say, hey, how do you feel about that, though? What do you think about that? And if I wish I could do that one over again because having our children share the gospel, having them 
share how they feel is what helps the gospel sink deep into their hearts. And also helps us know where they are at with their testimonies. Right. When they can share and express how they feel about certain things. I've always loved this statement from Frederick J. Pack. I have no idea who he was. Uh, It was in the Improvement Era in 1920, but I've been using this for 20 years now. That real conversion comes only with personal participation. No one is as fully converted to a thing as the individual who is devoting his time or and best efforts to it. Genuine and final conversion comes only through the thrills of knowledge derived from first-hand participation. So if we want our children and grandchildren to become more converted to the gospel, to have stronger testimonies, they have to be participants. They can't just be spectators. And one of the things that I fear is that too often in the church, our, ch- our children, our youth are spectating. Uh, sometimes the leaders are doing all the work and we're not giving our youth a chance to teach. We're not giving them a chance to, uh, to lead. Now, having said that, one of my fears though, is like in the deacons quorum, let's say when an advisor says, okay, deacons, you've got the lesson. And I don't agree with that either. I think that we have to teach them along the way so that by the time they are juniors and seniors in high school, they're becoming very comfortable teaching the gospel, but at the same time to just hand the reins over to them or to hand the reins over to them in a leadership kind of way without any teaching or preparation, I think is, is not healthy. In fact, we kind of came up with a, a system in our priest quorum a few years ago. We wanted the young men to teach the lessons, but we wanted an advisor to help them prepare and, and, and then take, take part in teaching the lesson with them. Yeah, especially in those younger groups. Right. Till they then can take the reins as they get older. Yeah. I love that. And I, I know in our home, too, we would sometimes have the kids teach family home evening or lead out in scripture study. And I think that is, again, a way of getting them out of being a spectator. Yeah. But I, And I, I love how the church is moving to that, to having the kids and the youth take, take more responsibility and more control over what happens in the young men, young women's program. Because I know for a long time, I would hear leaders all the time say, oh, no, no, don't ask the youth to do anything. They're so busy. Right. No, no, they can't bring cookies. We'll just do it. We wouldn't, we don't want to ask them to do anything. And I would always think, wait, they're busier than me, a mom with eight children <laughs> and all this. I highly doubt it. Right. But again, we kind of took, we took that away from them so that they didn't have, they didn't have a, a role. In a, or, or an investment. An investment in the youth program. And I think that just did a really disservice. Yeah. I think, I knew when I was a beehive and a young woman, we did everything. We planned everything. I remember spending tons of time you know, making things for mutual on Wednesday night, preparing things for Sunday, preparing. And I had an investment and I grew to love, love it and love the Young Women's Program. Versus when you're a spectator and you just show up and everything's been done for you. Yeah, that we we really did a service to our youth by taking that responsibility away from them. So I love how it has kind of gone back full circle where now we are trying to put an emphasis back on the youth to really be empowered and to have an opinion and a say in what's going on. In order to do that, they have to be engaged. I think that concept, Janie, was so well expressed by Elder Maxwell, Elder Neil A. Maxwell, who years ago said that the church members did not become inactive while crossing the plains when the sense of belonging and being needed was so profound. And uh, although we're not crossing plains right now, our youth, our children need to feel needed and that they belong, and that this is their church as much as ours, 
And in order to do that, they need to lead. I love it when I go into wards and see youth leading the music in sacrament meeting or giving talks in sacrament meeting. And uh, I think those are there's, there's some bishops, bishops there that understand uh, that we've got to help the, the younger generation be invested in the church and, and, and know feel that, apart and yeah exactly so the more our children talk about the gospel and teach it the more it will sink deep into their hearts and then this idea that just remember that teaching isn't just telling you know if we talked about methods of teaching you know teaching is engagement teaching is asking questions teaching is going back to what i said i wish i could do over again and say hey how did that make you feel what, what do you think about that we were in the temple uh, last night with a wonderful, incredible temple sealer. And after certain parts of ordinances were done, he would say, what do you guys think about that? What do you, what are you feeling right now? And I remember thinking, this is a master teacher. We are, we are being taught so well here. Teaching is modeling, uh, obviously living by example. Uh, but there's many different ways we can teach. But let's just not fall into the assumption that if we just tell someone something that we've just taught them. That does not mean that it's registered in their heart and they've understood. And you know, what's funny is because we had eight children. And so what we remember doing lessons for our older children, sometimes we'd, we'd be like, oh, wait, we haven't covered that with our younger children. <laughs> they were probably babies at the time, you know. And so it's repetitive. Teaching is also repetitive. We have to teach over and over and over. And I know I've heard people complain you know, when they go to sacrament meeting and we're like, oh, how many lessons or how many talks are we going to have on faith <laughs> or repentance? But I think that is the essence of the gospel is just being, hearing things over and over and over because they're going to hit different at different points in our life. Just like when we read the scriptures, we've all read the scriptures before, but then all of a sudden a verse will stick out to us that we've never seen before, or it hits us in a different way. Right. And I think that's why it's so important that we are so repetitive that we keep teaching things over and over and over. And I, and I know because of that great teacher that I just referred to a minute ago, the, the temple, quote, hit me very different last night than it has in previous times because of a, a great teacher. Well, maybe we can conclude this way. It's a great, wonderful story that I think has relevance uh, for us right now, but it was in the 1960s, and the California Bay Area became a magnet for drug use, immorality, just many forms of deviant behavior. And at the time, Elder Quentin L. Cook was a stake president in the area. And there were many members who lived in that area of our church who, because it was so toxic, because it was becoming so wicked, that maybe we should leave. Maybe it's time to leave the Bay Area and migrate back to Utah or somewhere else. And so one of those stake presidents wrote to the presiding leaders of the church asking if the members should stay in California and that part of California anyway, or if they, or if they should leave. Now think about that in 1960s and just think of how, how much crazier the world is now, you know. But Elder Harold B. Lee, who was one of the senior apostles at the time, was sent by the first presidency to address that issue. He traveled to the Bay Area, he met with local priesthood leaders, and he told them that the Lord did not inspire them to build the Oakland Temple, which would have been brand new at the time, just to have everyone pack up and leave, you know. And then he promised the saints this, that they could raise their families in a righteous environment if they would just live the following principles. Number one, they would follow the prophet. And I think that's great counsel for all of us today. Number two, that they would create a true spirit of the gospel in our hearts and homes. And whatever you, however you want to interpret that, but that certainly 
is the idea of teaching the gospel in the home, having a Christ-centered home. Number three, to be a light to those among who you live, to be lights to the world. And then number four, to focus on the temple, to focus on the ordinances and principles of the gospel. Now, that's a Christ-centered home. And then the elder cook said this, that as we followed this counsel from a prophet, our faith increased and our fears decreased. And I believe that we can raise righteous children anywhere in the world if they are taught religious principles in the home. There it comes right back to the home. The home, President Spencer W. Kimball said, is the place to save society. And we believe that. Now, parents, we realize that this is not easy. We realize that trying to just, for some families, find a time where we can have daily scripture study is a huge challenge. I know. I remember just trying to find a time we could have family prayer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, with all the kids. We ended up having it with the younger kids and put them in bed, and then the older kids would come home and we'd have it again because it was just so hard some nights to get together. We had so many kids in different activities and practices and recitals and Mm -hmm. concerts and just different things every night that it became a huge challenge. And mornings wasn't an option because we had kids that were involved in early morning extracurricular activities. And so so sometimes we were trying to have scripture study at 10 o'clock at night by the time (laughs) that everybody got home. Well, we had a daughter who just was recently lamenting about how annoyed she was when she would be out with friends or she would be at a basketball game or something and she would get a call saying come home for scripture study and she said at the time I was so frustrated and thought I had the meanest worst parents ever <laughs> but she just said looking back she said but that was the foundation of my testimony that I knew that you guys love the gospel. I knew that you were all in. And she said that became a real focal point of my mission as I looked back and realized how my parents love the scriptures, which made me love the scriptures, which, you know, looking back, she said that was such a great thing in her life, even though at the time she was really annoyed that she had to leave her friends and come home for scripture study every night. But so we know that it is so hard, but it's so worth it. The sacrifices are worth it. I mean, even if you're doing it at 10 o'clock at night or 5 in the morning, whatever you can do to figure out with your family when you can have family prayer, family scripture study, family home evenings on Monday nights. Monday nights have even been taken over now. I feel like right. there's even church events on Monday nights now that never used to be. That We get phone calls, that we get you know invitations, we get, you know, we've even been invited to wedding receptions on Monday <laughs> nights before. And so... That should just be a sacred, holy time for families. And it is all worth it in the end to finally see your children get converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just have testimonies, but be deeply converted and be all in themselves. It's worth every sacrifice that we can make. Amen. Janie, so well said. So for our invitation this time with Let's Do Something, LDS, Let's Do Something, is to find something about the Savior's life that you can teach to your children or grandchildren. We would love to issue that invitation. We would love to accept that invitation ourselves to find a way in the coming days or weeks to teach our children something about Jesus Christ and his life. Well, we hope you have a wonderful week. We've enjoyed our time together on this topic. We're both passionate about it, if you can't tell. And we hope to see you next week.